Hello, everybody. My name is Luke Thomas. This is the weekly live chat I do in MMA fighting. Today is, because I got my phone ready, Wednesday, August 6th, 2014. On last week's chat, I was so tired and delirious that I said it was July of 2004. Probably could have used a bit more shut-eye before doing that podcast, but neither here nor there. Got the date and the month, and uh, I got everything right about where we are right now. Thank you for joining me. On today's chat, we'll talk about, of course, the Daniel Cormier versus John Jones brawl. We'll talk about Chael Sonnen, whether he'll compete at Metamoris. We'll talk about Metamoris. We'll talk about, if you want, World Series of Fighting 12, although I doubt you do. Um, we'll talk about a lot of things. So that's what we should expect. But, of course, whatever your comments and questions are, we'll get to those as well. Uh, thank you for joining me. This is the 100th chat I've done. I've actually done more than that. Um, this is actually the 104th, but there are four that are like half-hour addendums. They're not actually original chats that took place on like a Wednesday like this. And I even did more than these beforehand. It didn't used to be a video format. It was actually a text format, but that went out the window, so I created this video format. And, and there we have it. So welcome. A couple of uh, announcements I'm going to make at the beginning and then some at the end. So here we go. Ready? First of all, um, check out the microphone. This is actually works microphone, but if it works and you enjoy it and the sound is better, I'm going to purchase my own and we'll start with it next week. So let me know how the micro... Jesus Christ, my phone's blowing up. Um, let me know how the microphone sounds. If it's good, we'll keep it and we'll move forward with it. That's the first. Second, if you look on the post on MMAfighting.com, where this window is embedded, you'll see a picture, uh, an image really, not even a picture, an image of uh, my face and a potential name for this podcast. Because we don't really know what we call this thing, it's just a, a live chat. It needs a name. And the best name running so far is Promotional Malpractice. Now we can abbreviate that PM or whatever you want to call it. But go vote. There's the You can see the image on the post and there's a poll up about whether you like it or not. Go vote. If you vote closes tonight, 24 hours, or not 24 hours, but at, at once we turn to August 7th, voting is closed. Now, um, the results will not be ironclad, but if the great majority of you like it, it almost is certain we'll go with it. Okay? So that's something to consider. Um, need your vote. Get out there. Man or woman, no age restrictions. You can only vote one time, obviously, but um, get out there and do it, okay? So that's the second thing I need to sort of get out. Um, the third thing is, and this is huge. I think it's very huge. You guys have been harassing me, and I mean this in a, in a loving and respectful way, almost in a way that I was surprised. When are you going to make this a podcast? When are you going to make this a podcast? When are you going to make this a podcast? Uh, that basically starts today. So here's the good news. It's not fully complete yet, and I, I tried to have it done by this day, but the update I can give you is that I have a pro account now on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com, and I'll, I'll explain all this in just a second. I'll make it fast. That uh, I've applied for their um, uh, podcasting program, which, trust me, will be approved. I can't imagine it wouldn't be, okay? SB Nation and SoundCloud have a relationship. Once I get approved, they'll give me an RSS feed. Once I get that RSS feed, we'll be up on iTunes. Okay, so by this next uh, week, we should be on iTunes. But at a minimum, at a minimum, starting today, 
as soon as the show is over, it's going to be com uh, converted to an MP3. That MP3 is going to be uploaded on my SoundCloud account, and the SoundCloud player will be embedded in the post. So you can download the MP3 if you want, but you can also play it off of the post with the SoundCloud player, which you can share, you can put on Facebook, you can put on Twitter, you can embed on a WordPress blog, you can share, you can follow it there. So we are just days away from having this a full-fledged podcast with an RSS feed and eventually getting on iTunes as well. We're, we're there, we're on the home stretch. But we've got something now where I'm not just linking up an MP3 that I threw up there. We've got a lot more going on. We are a part of the SoundCloud nation now. Pro account, unlimited uploads, the whole nine. You guys have been asking for it. You've been begging for it. SB Nation finally hooked me up. I had to do some arm twisting, but thanks to Brendan. Now, Buzzkill Brendan from the MMA Hour was a big help, and so was uh, Michael Bean behind the scenes. So thanks to those guys for setting it up. We're in the home stretch here of podcasting, but we're already going to start today with a much better system in place. we got a microphone. we got a SoundCloud account. We'll soon be on iTunes, and we got you. We're ready to rock. Um, as you know, all the comments that get three Rex turn green. I give those priority. You can tweet me at SBN Luke Thomas. You can email me Luke.Thomas at SBNation.com. And without further ado, let's get episode 100 of this live chat going. All right. So, where did I put it? Ah, here we go. By the way, Jeremy Botter, who's been really good on the story over a Bleacher Report, uh, let me see what he just wrote. He actually has an update on Sonnen, by the way, and then I'll get to this first question. But this is from Jeremy Botter on Twitter. He says he is told that if the Nevada Athletic Commission does not respond by noon Pacific today, so that's in less than two hours, Sonnen will compete at Metamorris. Now, we'll get explaining what responds means because his lawyer... Ross Greenberg has sent a couple of letters to the Nevada Athletic Commission detailing why they think they they believe that the NSC has no jurisdiction or ability to regulate these kinds of things, um, and they're looking for some clarification. Uh, we'll get to those in just a minute, but I want to put that out there because he had just tweeted that before we went live. All right, first question. Here we go. First few are just gifts. That's funny. All right, here we go. Perfect. DC Jones Brawl. Thoughts on the DC Jones Brawl. As entertaining as it was, and with such great traffic, part of me, similar to Sonnen and Vanderlei, still wonders what I'm watching. I was expecting Mike Tyson to jump in and bite someone's leg. Also, do you think NSAC will explore disciplinary measures? Well, for sure they're going to explore disciplinary measures. Here's here's a sort of funny thing about this. Let me just sort of set the context here for what I um, I, I was in the car when it happened because I was looking on my phone. My wife was driving. I was looking at my phone and, and I was getting an email chain between our videographer and my boss and we were all sort of like exchanging uh, in the conversation and I didn't know what had happened. I, I somehow had missed it live anyway. And then they explained to me. So then when I went and watched on Instagram, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. You know, not in a horrified way. I was just like, oh, my God, I can't believe it spilled over into something like this. And then um, I didn't think anything, I didn't think too much of it until um, 
I looked at the numbers later. Now I'm not I'm, I'm not going to share specifically what they were, you know, what numerical value, except to say, imagine a really good, like well, um, uh, heavily watched pay per view. Not the most watched, but you know, a very good one. A watched pay per view on Fight Night for the UFC. This did twice that, twice that, and for a low end pay per view, it did like. Three or four times that. I, 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 I'm not saying it's a traffic record, but I can't remember the last time I looked at our metrics and saw those numbers. So for me, it's the most I've ever seen for like a single individual event, which sort of leads me to my point about this whole thing. Is that you know you see some people who have a lot of different takes on this, and and the truth is for me, I don't really know who is wrong unless you're making bold claims about what it does to the sport. I think all perspectives are welcome, actually. For me, I don't give a F. I, I don't care that these two guys did this. I think if you want to put two elite athletes in a very weird uh, activity where they're forced to stare at each other and impose their will without actually... You're not supposed to do what they did, right? You're supposed to just sort of mean mug the other guy, right? It's a weird thing to do, and it's part of what we do in the pageantry and theatrics of fight sport, but it's unnatural. I mean, if you're really concerned about safety, you wouldn't do that ever. I mean, because the history of brawling in press conferences and combat sports is well established. So we do that for drama. We do that for theatrics, and I'm all in favor of it. But, you know, people who are like, well, you shouldn't cross the line. Dude, if you want two guys or girls or women or ladies or whatever to compete at the highest level, and you want them to fight their rivals, and you want their actual animosity to be real, because that's when it's at its best, right? Not when it's manufactured. It can be good manufactured to some, but it's it's really good to many when it's completely natural, when you know someone is just unhinged and cannot stand the face of the person across from them, when it's truly deep-seated rage. And when that rage is married with people of tremendous skill, um, it becomes something special altogether. But I guess sort of my, my point about this is that if you want two guys, in this particular case two guys, to do everything possible to intimidate, to get an edge, um, um, to, to, to take part in these unnatural activities, um, at some point the system of safety is going to fail. The folks who say this was bad, Bad things can happen. The cut could have opened up for John Jones's eye. What could have happened to Dave Schaller? What could have happened to innocent bystander? They're right. They're not wrong. Those are real risks, which is why, generally speaking, almost exclusively, but not quite, but generally speaking, you don't want these things to happen. You want them to be... <coughs> pardon me. <clears throat> you want them to be contained. The rules are there for a purpose. How, how foolish would it have been for this fight to have been ruined for one of these guys to roll their ankles? God, you would have been like, what happened? Okay, That's why, generally speaking, it's true you don't want these things. Moreover, you often get these things with guys who are, 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 are really uh, unhinged types, your, your um, Mayorga, Ricardo Mayorga types, you know, who just says the most inflammatory things, because this is a guy from the street. Okay? Third world streets, not even first world streets. Um, you know, so so those things, uh, you know, you can more you can plan for them more on those kinds of situations. But the reason why this was so special was because 
it's two guys you'd really never expect this from. John Jones, first of all, almost never stares down his opponents. He usually does the look off to the side thing. Moreover, you have Daniel Cormier, a guy who is regarded as a family man, a two-time Olympian, um, everybody's best friend, you know, except his opponents, but a really affable kind of guy, a thinking man's fighter. John Jones, a thinking man's fighter. Um, guys who represent the brand. Between them, you have two Olympic teams, and you have uh, Gatorade and Nike sponsorship. And you have the Strike Force Heavyweight Grand Prix belt. You have the Light Heavyweight Championship of the World. Between them, you have the very best the sports has to offer. And so the reason why I'm okay with it is, first of all, after the fact, everything turned out just fine. The bold proclamations, this hurts the sport in the long run, only if it becomes the norm. If it's a one-off like this, it really doesn't. It doesn't hurt the sport at all. It's totally false that there's some sort of lingering consequence to this. However many you trade off at folks who find it disgusting, you're picking up 10,000 on the other end. Bye. We'll welcome all them in. And I think that, uh, it, to me, it was kind of interesting that folks were like, well, was it staged? Was it not staged? Dude, that wasn't staged at all. I think there's so many of the fan base who, you know, listen, Zufa has been caught trying to astroturf message boards to get folks interested in the Ultimate Fighter and things like that. But, um, you know, I, I don't think they'd ever plan something like this where something could really go wrong. The reason why this brawl is okay is because it is an, an event unto itself. After the fact, nothing happened. Yes, you have to contain them, but two guys who are the least likely to brawl, the Cormier shoves people sometimes, but brawl, the two guys the least likely to brawl actually did. They actually did. Two guys who have a dispute so organic they cannot contain it. The, the, the dispute between Jones and Gustafson was born out of what happened in a fight and a controversial decision. There was really no connectivity between the two. These guys, I know Jones, I guess, threw a punch at the brawl, but no punch in a sort of regulated context. These guys haven't fought at all, and they are chomping at the bit to do it. Remember, you watched this chat before. I was just as excited for this fight as I had been for any pay-per-view event in a long time, strictly on the merits of the fight itself. Strictly on the merits of the fight. Now we have something even more. It is true that what you hear it so often, these two guys hate each other. And fans have tuned it out because promoters have abused it. Dude, when it's real, it counts. When it's actually real, you begin to see the value of it. You're like, oh, wait a second. This changes everything. And this idea that, like, you know, I mentioned before that it hurts the sport is total, total, total nonsense. Especially not with these two guys. My argument is very circumstantial. Well, it's these two guys and not ordinary brawls, and you can't have brawls all the time, but occasionally they might be okay. Yes, I admit my argument is circumstantial. It sort of carves out certain enclaves and certain caveats to let things happen. But there's just no denying the natural enthusiasm about this. There was an economy created. Fox Sports 1, Jay Moore's radio show, Sports Center. everyone wanted to, them to not only show the brawl or the audio of the brawl, they wanted them to relive the brawl on their broadcast. Hey, that thing you guys did, do it here too. The brawl was in demand content. Think about that. Think about some of the famous brawls you've seen in boxing, right, where you have, um, 
you know, for example, Lewis and uh, Lennox Lewis and Mike Tyson. Now, if you're a boxing aficionado, you know what happened in that fight. But for the majority of you, what happened in the third round of that fight? You probably can't remember, but you can remember Mike Tyson saying he wanted to eat his children and and told the reporter, "I'm going to f you till you love me." Other f word. That's a gay slur. Right? You remember those things because those things are events beside the fight itself. So listen, if somebody had gotten hurt, yeah, I don't think brawls are good. But if the guys got away with it, and they did, I don't mean like the NSAC is not going to punish them. I mean there's no physical injury to them. If they got away with that, and it revealed something else about the fight, and it becomes this memorable, and it gets this many people to turn their heads you'd have to be crazy to say this is bad for the sport. Wouldn't want it all the time. Wouldn't want to see it again for a very long time. Would only want to see it when it's real. And even then, I don't have to see it. But this is one of those times where the volcano erupted and there was nothing else you could do to stop it. How could you possibly say this is bad? How? No one is denying you don't want this all the time. No one is denying that this is not something that promoters should allow. No one is denying that bad things can happen if you allow these things to take place routinely. But when there are exceptions and they get away with them and they look like this and they have these kinds of raw ingredients, it is awesome. It totally transforms the fight atmosphere. You cannot tell me this fight is the same today as it was on Sunday in terms of being anticipated and what you think about it and the general belief about it and who's got a mental edge. People are now dissecting every angle of this fight when before, and this is the substitute fight. This is the fight that wasn't supposed to happen yet. That brawl transformed everything. Everything. And you don't have to like it as a general policy. There is no denying the power of what that thing did. It simply cannot be ignored. It will do, and it's not like, oh, it's going to do bigger business. What are we going to do in the name of big business? I don't want to see things molded and molested to cheaply produce greater results. But sometimes, if you can harness the weather, so to speak, if you can take what's already there and you can find a way to shine a light on it, not in a way where, again, you're not manipulating people, but just what's already there, dude, you can get incredible things. You can get incredible things. That brawl was an event by itself. Got the numbers to prove it. And it has totally transformed that fight. It has transformed that event to an extent. If you're making Conor McGregor a wallflower, you're doing something right. Um, thoughts on people who are saying that on their high horse that this is bad for the sport, it's unprofessional. It is unprofessional. And again, if you did it a bunch of times, it'd be bad for the sport. But it'll set the sport back a few years. What a dumb comment. You want two guys to fight in a cage. You want them to do everything imaginable, and yet you're morally horrified when they want to hurt each other after being forced to stare at one another in the face artificially so photographers and videographers can get cool shots. I mean, it's a phony thing to be doing to begin with. They don't need to be doing that. So, you know, you put them in this precarious position for your entertainment, and then when they react poorly, oh, I'm morally horrified. Come on. Thoughts on Galvan Sonnen apparently being in jeopardy. Is it within the NSAC's jurisdiction to expand the definition of fighting, or does, it, or does this require a legislative change? 
Um, even though it is not Nevada, is there any way you see this deterring sauna or is this simply grandstanding? The Nevada Athletic Commission, it appears, will be grandstanding whenever it doesn't cost them. They can grandstand, but doesn't not so to their own detriment or the state's detriment. They will absolutely do so. First of all, this is the most ridiculous thing I think I've ever seen in a long time. You have this event, Metamorphs 4, taking place in California. The very own commissioner there, who is well regarded as a thorough, fair, knowledgeable, erudite, um, competent, hands-on kind of commissioner, forward-thinking, and Andy Foster saying, I don't have any jurisdiction over it. Flat out. If you read the regulations, and, and, uh, and Botter has a post about this, and it's up in other places, basically without getting too technical about the numbers, and Botter has a good piece on it, um, is that the, the way the regulations are read is that, uh, let, me, let me find it, because you, you, have, you have to, uh, you got to hear it. You just have to hear it. You, you need to read the, the language of it. I'm going to pull it up here. Here we go. All right. So Francisco Aguilar, the chairman of the Nevada Athletic Commission, says, despite your promise basically not to compete, the commission's reliance on your promise when it determined discipline, I now see that you already have a scheduled a fight in California. On, no, they don't put fight quotations. I did that. On, on August 8th. Be advised that the occurrence of any fight is a breach of the Commission's order and will subject you to further proceedings before the Commission. In addition, should you breach your agreements, the Commission reserves the right to rescind the penalty imposed against you and reconsider a different form of punishment for your admitted violations. Okay, first of all, this idea about calling jujitsu fights fights, it's actually been a long running debate. I don't call jujitsu matches fights, but everyone in the community does. Calling them super fights is not something exclusive to Metamoris. ADCC does that, IBJJF does that, World Jiu-Jitsu Expo does that, um, uh, Grapplers Quest does that, Naga does that. You go to a tournament, someone says, oh, I had three fights, uh, I won the first two, lost the last one. You hear that all the time, all the time. Hey, he fought well. I don't like the use of the term, but it is very common in Jiu-Jitsu, number one. Number two, Ross Goodman, who is Sonnen's lawyer, cited regulation NRS 467-070. And so that means the Athletic Commission in Nevada is, quote, charged with the management, control, and jurisdiction over all contests or exhibitions of unarmed combat to be conducted. But what does that mean? Another regulation, NRS 467-0107. I know it's technical, just follow me, almost done. Unarmed combat is defined as boxing or any form of competition in which a blow is usually struck which may reasonably be expected to inflict injury. That sound like grappling to you? That sound like jujitsu to you? Not to me. Not to anyone with a basic grasp of the English language. So Goodman responds, quote, There is no dispute that the NSAC has no jurisdiction or authority to regulate, license, or sanction jujitsu and other forms of grappling. Moreover, jujitsu does not fall within the Nevada definition of unarmed combat because it does not involve blows of any kind. Likewise, it would be a violation of due process to expand the interpretation of fighting broader than the statutory definition of unarmed combat, blah, 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 blah. Moreover, as you may know, so, so, that, so here we go. We have the issue of, like, what constitutes fighting. The Nevada Athletic Commission, this is, first of all, it's not even in 
Nevada, but that doesn't matter. If you make a promise to Nevada about you're not going to fight, you can't do it anywhere in the world. That's fine, but this isn't. This has nothing to do with that. It's in a different state. That state says we can't regulate it. Nevada's saying we can. Even under their own statutes, they can't do that. Ross Goodman continues, as you may know, I endeavored to diligently respond within 24 hours to your initial letter given the time constraints of this weekend's show and Mr. Sonnen's contractual obligations. In light of the detailed explanation underscoring Mr. Sonnen's reasonable understanding of the two-year suspension only applied to MMA or other NSA-sanctioned events, I have not received any response. Then he quotes them from the very he the hearing that they were in, that Sonnen hearing on Fight Pass. Rodriguez says, one of the commissioners, talking about Sonnen competing at Metamoris, quote, but is it just an MMA fight? Because he has a bout. Aguilar cuts him off. Anything sanctioned under our rules as an unarmed bout combat, I believe he's in wrestling, and wrestling is not subject. Rodriguez says, it's like no gi grappling. Aguilar, right. Even in their own conversations, they recognize at that hearing, they knew about what was happening, and they weren't planning on doing anything about it. This is them, after the fact, trying to save face, if you ask me. I cannot possibly fathom what reason it would be other than they have they believe they, they failed to properly regulate, properly enforce the rules, or, or hand out a punishment that sufficiently could satisfy all the parties, and now they're looking to, 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 to grandstand. Because it doesn't cost them anything to do it. The event's not in Nevada. You know, they're not bringing any gate receipts there. This is just them on a power trip. It's ridiculous. If you had an argument about whether or not Metamorris should be testing I understand that. Market port, uh, forces can be brought to bear. If you don't want to support them because you believe in clean athletes, then vote with your dollars. I have no problem with that. I also have no problem if you felt that the commission was lax both in the way they treated Vitor Belfort and in the way they treated Chael Sonnen. A reasonable debate can be had about that, but I don't begrudge the position that more could have been done. But once that was over, trying to extend your statutory authority both in another state and over what it means to have unarmed combat, as you define it in the state, is ridiculous. Clear government overreach. Chael Sonnen absolutely should be allowed to compete at Metamorphs 4. Whether you want to support that as a consumer is up to you, but that he should be allowed to compete is without question the case. Uh, Luke, Paul Heyman recently stated that Ronda Rousey is the biggest pay-per-view draw since Mike Tyson. Exactly how? I don't know if I buy that either. I certainly can be sympathetic to the position that she has a strong, uh, she has a really strong ability to get the UFC attention, and um, has a really strong ability to promote the brand and the sport in a certain way, and herself in a certain way, in other ways that even Brock Lesnar couldn't. I don't deny this. But in terms of being a draw, I think her results at the gate and on pay-per-view are mixed. Hard to say how much she gave on, on those two major shows she was a part of. She did well against Carmouche. Um, not so well against McMahon, you know. So it's, 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 uh, who did she fight recently? Um, I was on the same card, though. Um, it, it, point being is, she may be a big star, but it's, and she is a big star, but in terms of a pay-per-view draw, I think the evidence is at best inconclusive. Luke, how do you see Mayweather and Maidana 2 fight going? I think Floyd outboxes him. I think it'll be like the last four to five rounds of Mayweather and Maidana 1. I'm not interested in that fight at all, and I don't expect it to, to beat a million pay-per-view buys. Any thoughts on this past weekend's UFC 176? I can't find results anywhere. It's almost as if it didn't happen. 
And someone points out, it wasn't canceled, it was postponed. Luke is a 5'8-inch skinny white guy. I sometimes ponder how I would fare in trying to stop two trained super athletes from attacking each other. Thankfully, Dave Schaller was able to answer this question for me on Monday. Kudos to Dave Schaller for taking it all in stride. He got put in the worst position imaginable and managed to make some funny out of it. So uh, hats off to, to Dave over at the UFC. That, that was kind of funny. Um, but yeah, man, it's like I'm twice Dave's size, and I wouldn't want to be in between those two. You know. Have you heard anything on the Eddie Alvarez situation? Nothing to update you guys yet. I think everything I said last week is still in play. But it sounds like they may not make the 178 cutoff, you know. Didn't it seem like Jones and Cormier seem to be acting like friends at the live Q&A, or could be eventually? Eventually. Um, no, I wouldn't call them friends. At some point, it's hard to be angry all the time. You know, you have to be a, a rage oaf to just live on rage. Um, but... Uh, and, and uh, you know, never rule out what this fight could do for these guys, you know. Uh, Mike Reardon, who is the writer over at Bloody Elbow for Wrestling, made an interesting point to me once. We were actually leaving a wrestling meet, and he was saying, it's like, you ever notice that when a wrestling match is over, or excuse me, when an MMA fight is over, if it's a bloody one and the guys went back and forth and it goes to a decision, or not necessarily even goes to a decision, but it's just one where there's like a lot of momentum swings and, and both guys took a lot of damage. You know, one guy they'll hug and they'll high five, and they'll one guy will raise the other guy's hand, and and they'll have this like religious experience together kind of thing. You don't ever see that in wrestling at all, ever. You know, a guy loses, they shake hands, and one goes off the mat. There's no they don't raise the other guy's hand. It's a it's a different spirit of competition. Um, but I think fight sports, in, including boxing, lend themselves to a kind of bond and and brotherhood you develop um, in those kinds of events, you know. Not always. In fact, not even very frequently. Sometimes guys have brawls and they hate each other for the rest of their life. That's fine too, you know. But never leave out the possibility that the complexion of the fight and what happens there can shape the relationship between the two after the fact. John Jones's opponents have all at one point or another called John Jones fake. Is there a difference between fake and business? A comparison for this would be if you are immature, you would act the same as if you were at a job interview. Um, hard, hard to say. They might know. They might know more about John than me. I actually feel like, uh, yeah, it's probably a public face, but we all have a public face, you know. Maybe his is more pronounced between your public and your private life. Um, some people don't have that, I suppose, but a lot of people do. I certainly do. You guys, I mean. Some of you might know me, but I don't, I don't know. Most of you don't, you know. It's because I'm a not a different person. You can't really be everything you are in private. You shouldn't be. Something should be left to private. Um, your whole life should not have this, you know, immediate connectivity between what you do at home and how you show up at work. There are certain restrictions. Some people can't handle different things. Um, if you don't want to live that way, you don't have to. But, you know, I'm not going to sit there and come and pretend that, like, you, you guys have a decent sense of who I am, but... No, you know, not the same. Are Lorenzo and White really upset? Do you think Lorenzo and Dana White are truly uh, upset at the fight, meaning they truly wish it had never happened? Again, 
they're in a bit of a different spot because things could have gone really wrong for them. You know, you don't want to damage your relationship with the MGM Grand. You don't want to have somebody get injured, either a UFC employee or the fighters, or have some kind of lawsuit on your hands. All those things could have gone wrong. You know, uh, and we have to acknowledge it. So from that vantage point, I can see how they'd be like, Jesus Christ, what a headache. On the other hand, I don't think they're going to be crying um, and wailing and having gnashing of teeth when the extra pay-per-view revenue comes in based on how it did, nor should they. How will the push affect pay-per-view numbers? Luke, what type of effect do you think the fight on Monday with Jones and DC will have on the final pay-per-view numbers? Yesterday on Cheap Seats, Greg Savage was skeptical since this happened over seven weeks out from the fight. I kind of disagree, though, because imagine how crazy the hype will become for the weigh-ins prior to the fight. Also, what got more traffic, the Silva Diaz news or Jones altercation? The DC Jones altercation was like an order of magnitude bigger than Silva Diaz news. Not even in the same universe. Not even close. Silva Diaz was a blip on the radar screen, screen relative to DC Jones. DC Jones, I've never seen anything like it. Nothing. Ever, 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 ever. That helps you understand that. Um, I, I think Savage's skepticism is semi-well-placed. I think the fact that being seven weeks out um, doesn't help it. A lot of times these boxing pressers happen in close proximity, usually fight week of. That can change things. Seven weeks out is a bit of a distance, so there's that. Um, and also there's a question about how the UFC talks about it. Do you acknowledge the brawl? Do you milk the brawl for what it's worth? And then, and then use that as a way, as a promotional mechanism to to you know raise awareness and visibility and intrigue in a fight. I think you have to, but it's a very delicate balance, and, and how they do that will determine how much success they have in pay per view extra on what they were already going to do. So um, I certainly think it'll help. I get I don't backtrack at all that it has transformed the fight and transformed the way the fight is viewed and have made that many more people aware of it. I think that people will remember, oh, those are the two guys that brawled. Not the same as happening during fight week. That would have been much different, but still not insignificant. Still very much, in the proverbial language we all use, a needle mover. The UFC states there will be repercussions for the DC Jones brawl, but I highly doubt it's anything more than a fine. Had it been lesser-named fighters who acted this way, the UFC would have cut them. Right, I mean, Jason High got cut for shoving a referee, and, and Dana White didn't even... So the told everyone he didn't even review the tape. Just and again, not all these situations are analogous. Putting your hands on a referee, I think, would be there's never really anything valuable about that. I mean, it's sort of universally understood you can't do it. I th I thought everyone reacted in horror, all the horror. You know, I thought it was deeply overplayed, but certainly nothing you can allow. Um, but as we mentioned on this chat a number of times, this is the way the world works, and you can be angry about it, and, and, and maybe you should be angry about it. You have a right to feel that things should be fair, but they're not. That's not the world we live in. And the way things are currently structured, without a collective bargaining agreement, without these guys acting in concert together, your justice will be commensurate with your... I mean, at some point, you can't do anything you want. But your justice will be a fluid thing, in large part defined by your value and your current status. It's just the way things work, man. So yes, they're going to get a fine, but you can find guys like John Jones and Daniel Cormier because they make more money. You know, you can't find a guy who makes 8-8. Eight and eight. There's just no money, there's no money to take. Uh, you can find a guy who makes, you know, uh, $500,000, you know, or, or $300,000. You can find a guy like that. Again, how much, I don't know, but 
they have the money to pay a penalty. So yeah, but I mean, are, are there going to be are the penalties definitely going to be a function of two guys headline? I mean, what are they going to do? They're going to cut Dale, Dale Cormier and John Jones? No, they can't. They were relying on them for this event. You know, are they going to sit them out the rest of the year? No, because if it's a controversial decision, they're going to have a rematch, right? So you get the idea. You get the idea. Like your your justice is a function of your value and your status and what it all means for them. Up to a point. You go and murder somebody, you know, all right. You know, they're going to let you go. But. UFC on Fox ratings. It seems as though they've been in a steady decline despite the cards arguably getting better and better. With a heavyweight title eliminator between Travis Brown and Verdum, and most recently a welterweight title eliminator between Lawler and Brown. At this point, is there no chance for a ratings rebound? And what do you think are the causes behind the fact that a nearly pay-per-view worthy card in UFC on Fox 12 can barely pull over 2 million ratings in primetime on Big Fox? As a corollary, do you think this has something to do with Dana starting to break more news on ESPN and schedule the Jones-Cormier on SportsCenter well before the interview on FS1? Let me start with the second part first. Everyone is sort of sad, because I've been tweeting about this nonstop. Um... I don't think it's at all coincidental that UFC has tried to preserve a relationship with ESPN, which would make complete sense. Why wouldn't you? It's a worldwide leader in sports. The way they do sports, they do it better than anybody. Fact. No one does sports like ESPN. I think that's just a very fair statement to make. Certainly not in North America. Um, and TSN up there in Canada. And I would argue worldwide, but whatever. You get the idea. No one does sports like them. Uh, much more homes. The, the the level of production is just extraordinarily high. The level of core competencies and how to deliver to audiences just incredibly, incredibly high on all facets, on digital platforms, on television, on radio. They have sports covered like you can't imagine. Okay. Now Fox Sports is really trying to get in the game, and I feel like they've made incredible strides, but they're just realistically speaking very far behind the curve. Why wouldn't you want to make sure you have a couple of irons in the fire? I think all of that is smart, and I would love to see UFC on ESPN. Who wouldn't want to? I think it would be a game changer, you know. Um, but people were saying, well, maybe they're doing that, you know, breaking the news and having Jones and Cormier on ESPN as a way to, um, you know, promote things and over time, you know, make things bigger for Fox Sports, right? Like if you're breaking news on ESPN about a fight that maybe is headlining Fox Sports 1 or, you know, Fox Sports 1 prelim card for a pay-per-view, wouldn't Fox Sports 1 be happy about that? And the answer is yes up to a point. Because certainly you would also, as the partner, the television partner, and in many ways the media partner for them, you would also, I think, as Fox Sports, expect, okay, you certainly can't ignore ESPN. You have to give them some things. But the, the level of commitment and exclusivity that UFC shows ESPN, which I don't think is bad, but if I'm, just, if I'm in Fox Sports' shoes, I'm thinking, we could really benefit from these live announcements on the air about a major fight. We could benefit from this. We could really use the boost. I can understand UFC's perspective being like, if we want to reach maximum audience, do we announce this on America's pregame live or whatever the show is on Fox Sports 1, or do we announce it on SportsCenter? Right? I mean, you can understand the UFC's perspective here. I'm not in any way bad-mouthing UFC's decision-making. I'm simply saying it's, it's not strictly a matter of, well, Fox Sports 1 says, and Fox Sports says, we're good, Do give them all the exclusives, 
no problem, give them all the first right of refusals for these kinds of things, and we'll just take the after effect because it will actually it'll make our prelims bigger when the UFC does a prelim for a pay-per-view. I don't think it works that way. I think they want to share those exclusives. I think they want to have Dana White using his two-plus million followers to do instead of Dana Center or on Dana on Instagram, having that on the Fox Sports account. I, I don't think that any of these things are accidental. I'm also not accusing the UFC of being in bad faith. I think they've buoyed Fox Sports 1 up to this point in a way that no one else really has. So um, I think it's smart, again, to have all their irons in the fire. My only point is that it's simply not coincidental. It's just not one of those things where it's like, well, it just so happened that it worked that way. They are definitely giving ESPN the kind of red meat, so to speak, that puts them in good graces for, I think, a potential future negotiation. It's just a conjecture. I don't have any proof. But that's sort of what I think is happening here, is that the deal is up in, what, three and a half years? Three years? Something like that? Almost three years now. That's not a long time. We're almost halfway done with this deal. That's not a long time. And if you could sort of remain relevant, remain in good graces, give these, you know, nurture a relationship with ESPN, you could do a lot of interesting things. Now, as for your first point, um, you know, in the end, I, I am sympathetic to the argument that doing well in certain key demos, in the male demos, 1834 and 1849, is, is, is important. They did well there. Um, it didn't do dramatically worse because, remember, the both the Verdum, Brown, and Brown Lawler fights went well past 10 o'clock mark, didn't count a lot of West Coast audiences. In the end, it was around 2.5 million each, spiking above 3, three, three, to three million and some change. Uh, for its peak, which is very, very good. Uh, again, this is not football season. Well, not very good, but okay, good enough. It's not football season. But there's also no denying that that baseline, that 2.5 baseline, even while out of football season, and whatever they do in football season, which is about a million more sometimes, is still down from what, A, expectations were, and B, what they initially could have done. Um, or she initially did do, I should say. It's not true that that's like, oh, it's, well, it's always been in line. No, there's a decline. There's a decline. The question is, is the decline so bad that it's, you know, uniquely worrisome. That's a little more of a, that's a more controversial debate. Um, and there are other reasons for having optimism. It's just not true, though, that there's been no decline. No, there's been decline. There's been decline. I don't think anyone expected 2.5 mil average as some sort of, like, uh, baseline that everyone would be acceptable with. I think three, three and a half to four is what most folks expected. Um, if their projections were out of whack or based on what network numbers pulled during MMA's boom period, um, you know, you can... You can lambast people for that, but that's where it comes from. And there has, there has been a decline. Did the UFC learn their lesson at 174? 177 isn't great. Uh, this person says they're skipping it. But the upcoming pay-per-view cards seem to be getting better. What was the final numbers on 174 anyway? Uh, yeah, per day Meltzer between 95K and 115K. I, I, I definitely think that was a wake-up call for them. I don't know. Haven't had any talks with UFC brass. Doubt they would ever talk to media about it, but that's a scary number. That's a super scary number. You're flirting with what Rampage and King Mo did for Bellator. Right? You're not far away at all. In fact, it's possible that they, they got beat. Right? That's scary. That's super scary. That's always been, even though Strike Force went on CBS and did good ratings, and Kimbo and Elite XC, they did good stuff for Showtime and CBS and all that, you know, that pay-per-view frontier was really always the key differentiator. These companies, these Bodogs, Affliction got 100,000, but was, you know, it's totally unsustainable. That didn't have the same other ingredients going on, the Viacom backing, the television deal with Spike TV, the deeper roster, you know. I mean, they had bigger stars on Affliction, but not the expansive divisions. That 100,000 mark was always like 
what would really put people competition just so far away, you know. And I don't know if Bellator can repeat that. We'll see. But 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 to even be in the same conversation is unbelievably. I couldn't fathom that a few years ago. Could not fathom that. For that to happen is crazy. And I definitely think think they said, okay, we, you know, we're gonna do what we do on Fox Sports One. We have a reliable audience there. We do reliable numbers. Probably the same thing for Fox. Although I think they bump it up a little bit. Obviously, I think those Fox shows are better than the most Fox Sports One shows. Okay, fine. They're gonna do what they do on Fight Pass. You know. But these pay-per-view shows, if they can stack it, they will. They won't always be able to do it. I think you are going to have some 177s. But for me, scheduling out 13 or 14 pay-per-views in a year is a very, very precarious thing to do. I'd love to see them dial it back to about 10, and then if they can add more, do so. You know, If they happen to get lucky, they can really put a great card together, do it. But, but um, I definitely I, – I talked to an executive um, – how do I say this? I talked to an executive in the industry familiar with, you know, pay-per-view and all the different players, boxing, WWE. I know WWE is doing its own thing now, but historically WWE has been in pay-per-view. Um, UFC as well. You know, all the basic pay-per-view players. And he thought that looking at the numbers uh, and looking at this, that this would precipitate uh, a bit of a panic. Not that, uh, oh my God, we're stuck here. Not at all. But that we can't do this, you know, anymore. We have to give them a pay-per-view quality card that we can just say this is this is different than what we normally offer. And even 177, you can have complaints about it. You know, carry also getting a title shot, and the rest of the card is not good at all. But it is two title fights. That's very very rare. You don't get that a lot with UFC cards. I can see how UFC can present that to the public and say this is a pay-per-view worthy card. UFC 178, that is an excellent card. Who could possibly complain about that? That is a that is one of those cards. Well, I'll actually ask friends if they want to watch, which I never do anymore. You know, hey, you guys should watch. I'll even I'll even recommend it to people. I'll I'll I'll, I'll as a fan of the content, I'll naturally do what fans do, which is spread the word about things that they like. You know, um, but I don't see how there's any way you don't look at those 174 numbers and say, oh, okay, we can't we can't do this. We have to have an insurance policy here. We have to do things. We got to make these an event. You know, we have to do the extra work required to differentiate these kinds of content events from the rest of the portfolio that we offer. There's a question about whether why the UFC has been reluctant to to like punish multiple time drug cheats. Um, I'm working on an article related to this, not quite uh, very related to this, that I want to leave for that. But I want to just tell you what I'm working on. Save it for later. Great question. Luke, what if it was Dana? Luke, what if the same things that happened for the Jones-DC brawl and it was Dana White getting thrown around like Schaller, would Dana have fun with it as Schaller did? Would the reaction be the same? I think it might be a bit different, but in the end, not substantially so. What are they going to do? Cancel the fight? No. Are they going to cut Dana Cormier? No. Are they going to cut John Jones? Of course not. Are they going to find him? Yes. Are they going to publicly berate them? Probably. But they still would have done the car wash thing where they went on Fox Sports Live and they went on Jay Moore's show and other radio shows and did the Q&A and went on Sports. They would have done all those things. Sports Nation... They would still do all those things. 
You know, so how the, would the punishment have been substantially different? I, I have a difficult time seeing how. Now, again, if it had been Dana White and let's say two donks on the card who did it, I don't want to say donks in like a derogatory way, but you know, if you're the casual fan watching, two guys you never heard of, let me pull the 178 card. If it had been, let's say, John Tuck and Kevin Lee who rolled, and Dana White got pushed off the stage and, and like rolled his ankle or got a concussion, you know, <laughs> maybe something different would have happened. Um, but again, your justice is and and your rights and what's available to you in the event you do something wrong in the sport is commensurate with how you know your value and status. Ever imagine Conor McGregor being outshined? At the Q&A, he was overshadowed by the Jones DC hype train. It seems MMA will be just fine, trash talk wise, even without Sonnen. Or maybe this was part of Sonnen's legacy left behind. I don't think this has anything to do with Jail Sonnen at all. I think MMA fans watch so much pro wrestling, it's sort of crazy to me that they can't differentiate real life when it's right in front of them. I think you'd have to be a moron to think that was staged. And I don't mean to like mince my words at all. Like you've got to be just stupid to think that was staged. Th those guys couldn't pull it off if they wanted to, you know, in an effective way. Uh, you got to put down the video games, you got to turn off Raw is War, whatever the hell it's called, and you got to just watch real life happen, and you got to like pay attention to, to who these guys are and how completely uncharacteristic this is, but at the same time, how understandable it is given everything that's happening. These are two guys who are hell-bent on destroying each other, and I don't mean that lightly. Not murder, they're not going to go and shoot up their families, spray the block with an AK, nothing like that. But in competition, they badly they do. And like, think about the think about what the, is on these guys' minds. You got a guy in John Jones who is arguably the greatest fighter ever. He could be. That's not a crazy thing to say. If he beats Cormier, right? And he beats Gustafson, dude. We're talking about one of the all-time greats, period, irrespective of weight class. And let's say he goes up and he, I mean, it's a crazy thought. Let's say he goes up and beats Velasquez, dude. I mean, that's just the best fighter ever, ever, ever. Okay, he's at least worthy of the conversation, or you know, potential future consideration anyway. But he doesn't command the respect. Doesn't command the respect and the adoration that someone like Daniel Cormier has with insiders within the community. You know, John Jones isn't on Fox Sports One and UFC Tonight, and it isn't revered as this sort of like. Uh, not a father figure exactly, but this model citizen that Daniel Cormier is, where it's sort of being a nice guy is effortless to him because he is one. Um, and moreover, a guy who from a technical standpoint poses an unbelievable challenge to John Jones. John Jones knows he needs this win to really, I don't know if make his career is the same, what I would say is, but to make his career something, without beating Daniel Cormier, his career will never be what it could be. If he doesn't beat Daniel Cormier, by contrast, you have a guy in Daniel Cormier who got into the game late after a failed run in that one but two Olympics for two different reasons. And a guy who was widely regarded as being a potential gold medal winner and just not could not get it done, both from not being able to perform and self-sabotage. And this is his second chance at athletic glory, and he is 35 years old. And while he is adored and revered and has a future set up for him after fighting, if he really wants to achieve the pinnacle in a sport, after already having to leave the heavyweight division, this is his chance to do it. His career is not the same unless he beats John Jones. 
Very much so. This fight could not have bigger stakes, and it could not have two guys who have such tremendous fight IQ, and it could not have more natural animosity between two guys who are very different people. They are oil and water, and yet they need the other guy to bow to them for their career to be what it could and should be. Think about that. With all of that understanding, with all of that context, with all of that riding on this, which these two guys I'm sure are intimately familiar with, if not consciously, certainly then subconsciously, driving in inner rage, how could you possibly think that was staged? This is not just another fight, man. This is, this is if not, this is the fight, man. Up to their points in, this, in their careers, this is the fight. This is the most important fight of their careers, far and away. So asking is it staged? Man, they're not fighting some chump at a circus fair, dude. They're not fighting up on someone they can easily beat. They're fighting the guy who they have to beat to prove that they are uh, what we thought they could be. And they don't get it if they don't beat these guys. For all the greatness John Jones has achieved, if you can't beat Daniel Cormier, it that damages his career. He'll still be a very, very good Hall of Famer type, but not the guy. And Daniel Cormier, if you, I mean, can you imagine an athletic career where you were expected to do all this in one sport and you didn't, and you got to the peak of another one and you couldn't do it again? Uh, true or false, Vitor Belfort pulls out of UFC 181 and is replaced by Luke Rockhold. God, that'd be kind of crazy. Uh, I'll say false, but we'll see. UFC 178 does 600,000 pay-per-view buys. I will say yes, if not more. MMA is not a sport. It's merely just sanctioned and regulated cage fighting. Uh, I'm not sure what that means. It's possible for MMA fighters to become addicted to the thrill of fighting. True. Jacare knocks out Gagard Musasi. False. Gilbert Melendez will be the first former Strike Force fighter to win a UFC title. Hmm. False, but that, that's a tough one to answer. Luke Thomas believes the following UFC rivalries are or were genuine. Anderson Sonnen, half-half. Vanderlei Sonnen, no. Cruz Faber, yes. Cormier Jones, yes. Diaz GSP, no. Rampage Rashad, mm, no. To an extent. Bisping Mayhem, no. Alexander Ovechkin would win in a hockey fight against Cain Velasquez. Ovechkin is not much of a fighter. Question about Nate Diaz. I'm not sure how to answer it because I'm as confused as the rest of you. According to Mike Kogan, who is the manager for Nate Diaz, he recently commented that Nate would be willing to offer to fight the winner of Cowboy Miller, Josh Thompson, or Cowboy Nurmagomedov replacement, only to be sh or, or Cowboy slash Nurmagomedov replacement, only to be shot down three separate times by the promotion. At least, if anything, from Kogan's own mouth, it seems that Nate may want to continue fighting as much as he can, but the UFC turned on the services, it seems, on three separate occasions. I would love to hear Dana White's response. Without hearing that, I don't want to say anything because I don't know what to say. Uh, let's see. John Jones' behavior. <coughs> Luke, what are your thoughts on John Jones' behavior? 
Is he an incredibly gifted actor or trolling the media by portraying himself in multiple different personas within a matter of hours, or does he just have serious identity issues? When he was on Fox with DC, it seemed as though he was on the verge of tears. Then a switch flicked and became a super angry at DC and walked off. While hours before he was joking on Instagram, and then he was all sincere and cordial on ESPN. Then the most odd part was today in LA, he seemed almost friendly with DC as if he was drunk. I'm not sure if he was just a very emotional guy or if the pressure is getting to him. What's your take? No, I think he's a young guy who has a range of emotions. Germany, who is a draw? A lot of people have said that Ronda Rousey is the biggest draw in the UFC. For most of Ronda's fights, she's been on a card where it is stacked or semi-stacked. Um, yet non-draws like Mighty Mouse gets a card that has no chance of succeeding. You did mention Benson Henderson, but is there a criteria for you to be a pay-per-view or TV star? Even though they wouldn't do it, how would Rousey do if she headlined a Mighty Mouse type card? Depends on her opponent. Depends on the place. Uh, Lesnar was sort of notorious for doing well on pay-per-view and not necessarily all that great at the gate. I mean, not poor at the gate, but not commensurate with the same kind of attention he could command from a pay-per-view perspective. Um, so the way you determine a draw is sort of any number of things. Are you a draw at the gate? Like if you, in terms of measurables, how do you stack up? What kind of ratings do you do? What kind of traffic do you do you drive? What kind of gate do you do? What kind of um, attendance at events do you pull? What kind of pay-per-view do you pull? What kind of ratings do you pull? How, what, what, are, what are those ratings? What are the demos that you pull? You know, maybe you're not great with men, but you're really good with women, or vice versa, or younger, or whatever the case may be, Latinos, whatever. There's all different kinds of ways to move to, to sort of define what a draw is, depending on what the context is and how you're and, and how you're measuring it. But it's all those measurables. How many people walk through the turnstile? How many click purchase? Um, and you know, to, I would say to be a draw on pay-per-view, uh, at a minimum above 400,000. That which isn't to say that 350 is bad, but I wouldn't call you like a major draw. You know. Above 500,000, you're definitely doing well. On TV, again, depends. Uh, if you, you, can, you can do super strong in demos, your averages will need to be high. But having high averages would be even better. Um, um, gates, merchandise, traffic, uh, all kinds of things. Fighter pay compared to other sports. Look, I have a friend who recently got drafted to the NHL and his signing bonus for getting drafted in the third round was more than a lot of fighters in the UFC take home in a year. And the fact that an 18-year-old Canadian kid can earn $60,000 for merely being recognized as a prospect is ridiculous considering early stage MMA prospects barely have to work uh, or have to work on their job just to pay the bills. How can the pay be so different, uh, vastly different between the two sports? Man, it's a complicated answer which we have talked about ad nauseum, but it is interesting that you have a prospect in the third round, getting a 60 grand signing bonus. Um, and man, you the pay wouldn't be, I think, so dissimilar if there was collective action among the fighters, but it's not. Conor McGregor taking selfie, selfies was probably the best part of the scrap between Bones and DC, don't you agree? It never misses an opportunity, does he? Uh, Manny Pacquiao recently bought shares into the 1FC promotion. Thoughts? Um, probably didn't buy that much, and he probably owns enough now where um, they are just going to use his likeness to promote shows. He may show up to some. Uh, he may do some press events. I don't. I wouldn't rule those out, but I think what you're more going to see is that they can use his name. 
Manny Pacquiao says, blah, 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 you know, because he has a bit of a name in that region, certainly a huge name in the Philippines. Um, I think that's what you're going to expect out of this. It's just a mechanism to promote themselves, and they give up some ownership stake, so I guess he could have some kind of assets, um, you know, non-liquid assets, given all sorts of problems he's having uh, with his taxes. But um, that's what I think you'll see. Manny Pacquiao says that this fight of, you know, 1FC, Rise of Kings, or whatever the hell they're going to call their the Dragon Strikes Back, or, you know. Um, so expect expect him to be on promotional posters and his likeness used, and occasionally he might show up to a fight or a press event or something like that. I wouldn't expect him much, though. Reflections on the Strike Force merger. That's interesting. We are now 18 months since the final Strike Force show, and as it stands, the next title challengers in heavyweight, light heavyweight, welterweight, and lightweight are all former Strike Force fighters. With hindsight, are you surprised by the impact Strike Force fighters have had in the UFC, and which weight class do you think that has been the most affected by the merger, excluding women's bantamweight? Uh, obviously, because that would be the best answer. But um, I think heavyweight. You know, the US, the, the Strike Force heavyweight division was pretty substantial and had done really well. Um, the middleweight division was not too bad either. Some of the guys at the top there, um, lightweight. I mean, all of them were pretty good. Welterweight less so, but uh, heavyweight I would point to is next. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of interesting to me about you know just how profound UFC bias is because I think a large, a large amount of bias towards fighters in the UFC as being more elite than their contemporaries I think is justified. Um, it is a deeper pool and it is higher stakes and it is in front of greater audiences. Those things should be should should be measured. But I think that the cynicism about what people can do outside of the UFC is also far too strong an impulse. Which, in part, I have been guilty of. True false. If you are a flyweight, bantamweight, or featherweight champion, you should be begging the UFC to put you on the Silva Diaz card. True. Any fighter, you put you on that card. The face-off was the climax of the Jones-Cormier hype. False. If McGregor wins, he will be thrown in a number one contender fight. Probably. Depends how he wins. You saw the entire Ariel Paul Heyman interview. I have not. Um, Ariel has a soft spot for McGregor in Ireland. I think we all do. Uh, not a true-false question, but more difficult part of the Rampage interview. His no comments or that fatalities are the worst part of Mortal Kombat. Definitely that fatalities were the worst part of Mortal Kombat. All right, this one is from MJC Flip the Script, who is a uh, fellow over at um, Fightmetric. I've been trying to get to the bottom of why the UFC finishing rate is plummeting, why the style of finishes is changing, and who the culprits may be. First, some facts. The UFC finishing rate from January to June of 2014 is indeed dropping at a sizable rate. And if you look at the numbers, in 2006, the finishing rate was 67%. Bumped up a little bit to 2008, but since then has been on a precipitous decline. So from 2006, 67%. Now in 2014, up to now, up to June anyway, 42%. He says, um, from January of June of 2014, 27% of fights end in some form of KO or TKO. That's the smallest proportion of knockouts since 2010. Uh, from 2000 to 2010, there was an average of 1.25 submission attempts per fight. From 2011 to now, it's 0.86%, a 31% decrease. 
Finishes are down in 2014, but the variety of finishes are up. So more from the clinch, for example. From 1993 to 2010, there were only nine finishes stemming from strikes to the body. From 2011 to present, there have been 28 such finishes. From 2005 to 2010, 38% of knockouts stem from ground strikes. From 2011 to present, KO stemming from ground and pound account for just 23%. From 1993 to 2010, 11% of KOs stem from standing kicks or knees. From 2011 to present, finishes from kicks and knees make up 18% of KOs. I'll post additional numbers in response to this post, but in the meantime, which of these numbers, if any, jump out at you and vibe with what your overall hunch is on what the finishing rate thing is going on? Okay, here's my sense about all of this. I think it's a combination of factors that all sort of make sense here. It would make sense that while finishing rates have declined, more unique types of finishes, lesser known types of finishes previously have gone up. So let's sort of figure out why. First, I think the level of MMA defensively has gone up a lot. Um, submission defense is much better than it used to be. Wrestling defense is much better than it used to be. Striking defense, I would call, is not great, but even then, better than it used to be. All of the defensive things have gotten better. Offense has gotten better, too, but um, not in sort of the basic fundamental way in which defense has improved. Because at, at its core, MMA is a more offensive sport than boxing. You can have poorer defense in, at the elite level in MMA than you could in boxing and have, great, and have um, a great amount of success. Because the gloves are small and there are so many ways to win. Yes, there are many ways to lose, but if you really push... You can do so many more things. It, it, it's a sport that lends itself to offense. Um, but the defense has improved everywhere. Everyone is a better fighter than they used to be. And you see it in jiu-jitsu. Like, you see these metamorphosis competitions, for example. Oh, 20 minutes, no, no sub time limit. Dude, 20 minutes is not enough to sub these guys. It's just not enough time. You have to do no time limit to really sort of see what it, that would look like. And that could be very problematic, right? Um, it's it's hard to do things against elite competitors. It's, they're just very good at resisting it. So that's the first problem. The second problem I would say is that I think that what you're also finding is that you're getting lesser ranked guys signed now. So they're not bad fighters, but they're limited fighters. They don't they don't have the comfortability to do a lot of things that they would ordinarily do at a lower level or may attempt. Um, or have they developed the skills yet for? So between the lack of skills and the lack of ability and exposure on the higher end of things, they're risk averse. They're going to try and use control positions. They're going to try and just sort of keep the fight where they're most comfortable. You're not going to get a lot of guys doing the things necessary to put their opponent in a position to be finished. I think that's also happening. But I think the reason why you're also seeing things like body shot KOs going up is because as guys get better and everyone's defense gets at a higher level, you have to find the, the unique twists. You have to get the spinning hook kick. You have to get the, the, the great left hook to the body. You have to get the Peruvian necktie, things that guys just don't see coming. Otherwise, it's simply not going to work for you, at least not very often. And even those things will sort of become commonplace and will have to be another sort of wrinkle everything that's going on, but you get the idea. Like The reason why the things that we had never emphasized before is, one, I don't think those guys had those skills, but those are still areas of refinement that haven't been um, corrected for yet. I think all the other things, the more conventional techniques, guys' armbar defense from the guard is very good. When was the last time in MMA, you know, Pettis and Henderson, that's a pretty rare thing, but like armbars from the guard, 
you don't see them very much. It's hard to do. It's hard to get someone to control their posture and to isolate the arm, especially nogi, twist your body at a 90 degree angle, or at least you know, even 45, enough, and, and, and break it. It's hard. It's very, very difficult to do. Guys have just much better sense of awareness of where their elbows are supposed to be and their posture and how to pass. It's hard. It's just really difficult. Um, and so they're having to use unorthodox techniques and having to find a different wrinkle, having to find a different twist to create openings and take advantage of them. I think the, all those numbers pan out. I think what's interesting, though, is that none of us really saw this coming. I think what we had thought was that I never saw someone being like, yo, as these fighters get better, like, the, the fishing rates are going to plummet. I don't think anybody ever said, I don't remember anybody ever saying that. I think what we thought was that as these guys get better, their offense will get even more potent. And to some extent it has. The problem is as their offense has gotten more potent, everyone's base level of defense has gotten significantly better. Let's see. Lightweights, featherweights, and bantamweights. He's this is same guy from Fightmetric following up. Lightweights, featherweights, and bantamweights had no trouble finishing in the WEC. They combined to either knock out or submit their opponent 56% of the time, a very good rate. But since 2011, those same weight classes have finished only 46% of their fights, a 10% drop. Many point to the cage size affecting the fight results, but unfortunately the UFC seems to be quite inconsistent with its usage of the different particular sizes of cages, and we don't have good data on it. Is there another culprit? Here are the finishing rates for each division in the past four years. Heavyweight has gone down. Light heavyweight has gone down but fluctuated. Middleweight has gone down. Welterweight has gone down. Lightweight has gone down. Featherweight has gone up. Bantamweight has gone up. Women's bantamweight not applicable. Flyweight has gone way down. In 2014, finishing rates in the heavyweight, women's bantamweight division, and flyweight divisions are lower than in years past, but each of those divisions has not mounted a particularly high number of fights. Welterweight definitely has, and finishes at 170 or down 10 percentage points from last year. The 170, 155, 145, and 135 pound weight classes have represented 64% of fights in 2014. That's 64% of four weight classes and 36% of the other five. That proportion, though, is typical of each year of the lighter weight classes have been in the UFC. Hmm. A couple weeks ago, Jeff Wagenheim mentioned that he gets compensated for the pay-per-view. This might be a dumb question, but do fighters get to watch UFC pay-per-view for free, or do they pay out of pocket? I think they pay out of pocket. Is my understanding. Someone says, Jim Miller hit an arm bar from the guard at 168. Yeah, there's some examples, sure, but they're not common. They're not common at all. Can Cormier beat John Jones with his stand-up, or does he have to rely on his wrestling? He has to rely on mixing it up. Can't not one or the other. True or false, Rousey retires from MMA undefeated in 2015. False, although she may take a break. Someone says, yeah, the brawl set MMA back years, all the way back to the days when people used to give an S about the sport. Yeah, basically, that's my attitude as well. It's like, just you're crazy if you think that. 
Um, let's see. What do you think about Jones's comments about Cormier's past opponents? I think his point was valid. I think his point is valid as well. That doesn't mean that Cormier can't or won't win, but that Jones has a point that really the step up between what Cormier has been facing and what he will face is pretty tremendous. Is Jones finally embracing being a heel? I don't think he's embracing being a heel. I think he's embracing being who he is, and he may be naturally detestable to some level to folks. Ah, Sean Sheehan putting the Chromecast to good use. Thank you, my friend. Thoughts on Caraway versus Asun Sal? Uh, I like Asun Sal to stuff basically everything Caraway does, unless he can get his back. And if it goes in the feet, Asun Sal has made tremendous strides as a striker. I like Asun Sal in that bout for sure. For sure. UFC 177 getting lost in the shuffle. Do you think it was a mistake to book Dillashaw, a fighter with the potential of becoming a big draw, somewhere down the line as the main event of a pay-per-view, which will only get around 150k buys? Would it have would it have benefited him benefited him more had he either been on Fox or a co-main to Jones Cormier? Yes, but that still doesn't leave the donut hole that is UFC 177. They have to fill that card. They can't cancel two pay-per-views in a row. The same could go with DJ. These champs could have used some of the promotional push that UFC 170 is getting. Congrats on 100 chats. Thank you. Uh, I, I don't disagree that there have been more optimal uses and places um, for for exposure and to build these guys. I, I don't deny that, but there are also logistical challenges that have to get met. There's calendar challenges that have to get met. 177 has to go forward. They they booked it well in advance. They signed those deals with the venues well in advance. Um, not hugely in advance, but enough. They got to do them. Have I heard anything about the UFC uniform? I have heard that the apparel company that it was going to be switched last minute. Any news on Mark Hunt's? So everyone who thought it was going to be one, it's not going to be that. It's going to be a different one. The promotional malpractice poster is great, just needs a little bit of editing. Uh, we have different versions of it. Do you have any news on Mark Hunt's unemployed comments? I don't. John Jones said he was drinking prior to the scuffle. Yeah, he was not drinking. He, or at least he was drinking water. He was not drinking Patron on a media event, you know, training for a fight. I can assure you he was not doing that. There we go. Jones is wrestling. Judging from everything you've seen from Jones in his last few fights, you think he'll be able to land even one takedown on Cormier as he struggled against Gus and Glover in that department, and DC is a better wrestler than both of them. Furthermore, I believe Cormier has never been taken down in MMA, so considering that and his lower center of mass, I think Jones will fare against him. Well, he barely got Glover down. I, I would not rule out that Jones... Jones has taken down everyone he's ever fought in the UFC anyway. Someone's knocking at the door. Um, J 
Jones has taken on everyone he's ever fought. So I would not suspect that that can't continue. That said, I don't think that's going to be a key portion of his fight. I think a key portion for Jones is leveraging the reach and forcing Daniel into striking exchanges. I look at that Frank Mir fight as an area where he was given a lot of space to set up his attacks, and even then they weren't necessarily all that potent. Um, and if he could keep his back off the fence, or if they do get on the fence, really rough him up in the clinch, make him uncomfortable, that would force DC into a space of the game where he's not... He's not really at his best. DC likes to beat up on you from advantageous positions. Um, when your back is against the fence to bomb on you, when your back is on the floor to bomb on you to pass, likes to pick you up, likes to get behind you. There's not a guy who likes to sort of like maintain those positions with grips and hooks, but likes to have one arm maybe as an anchor and then do damage with the other. And so the key for Jones is going to be really making sure that never happens. If the fight, it's not complicated in that sense about how they're going to do that. To me, though, it's the clinch. You know, what's going to happen there? Is Jones going to be able to throw knees in the clinch or is he going to worry about getting picked up and slammed? Um, how, how, who's going to control the underhooking? The underhooking is going to be huge, man, because if Jones, with that long reach, gives up double underhooks, he's going to go for a ride. He's going to get, he's going to get, he's going to get lifted, I'm telling you. Um, and then it's a question of what's his guard look like and can he get up and does that mean he loses rounds? You know, wrestling steals rounds. Who are the judges going to be? It's so many factors to consider. But for me, it's that underhook battle and that clinch, man. That's really where a lot of this is going to be decided. Because if there is none, because the fight's on the feet the whole time, favor Jones pretty heavily. What holes or tendencies can DC or Jones exploit in the other? Well, we went to talk about some of this already. For DC, aside from that left high kick you mentioned at the 178 Q&A, I definitely think body kicks and looking for knee kicks will be two of Jones's biggest focuses. DC seems very uncomfortable with being attacked to the body by Mir, and although he's very athletic, he does have a tendency to be flat-footed at times. Yep, he likes to explode, throw big, heavy, quick hand combinations, has great hand speed. I think that's a key portion of his game. Uh, someone says, as for Jones, I think both Gus and Glover, to a lesser extent Glover, showed that if you shut down Jones' wrestling, his distance striking isn't always going to be his bread and butter. He's a monster with those elbows and in the clinch, but DC would probably love to make Jones fight like he did in the Glover fight at close to medium range. I think, I think that's true, that if you can shut that down, but, and I also think that distance um, will be predicated on Jones using a jab, which he doesn't like to do. He's not like a lot of guys. He's not like, he doesn't have footwork like Edgar where he's constantly in motion and throwing the head off center and pumping the jab and getting reactions. He doesn't move like that. He's very methodical and meticulous about shot selection. That's sort of an uh, interesting feature about him. Uh, and then he can surprise you with the range. He can pump the jab, and then as you saw against Evans, as you get a little bit closer and you think you're inside of his punching range, he drills you with the elbow. So there's a lot of that going on too. But I think that's why that clinch battle to me is kind of interesting because I think Cormier wants to be there, but I think Jones is better there than folks give him credit. And so I wonder uh, how that's going to look in the end. Uh, UFC on multiple channels. All the major sports are aired on multiple networks. Could we possibly see the UFC continue to do fights on Fox and occasionally a fight on ESPN? I wouldn't rule it out. I don't think that's a crazy thought, but part of me wonders that... Um, part of me wonders whether, you know... Uh, I mean, NASCAR is... You know, it's, a, it's on multiple channels. As you know, football is back. It's on multiple channels. I just wonder if they're bigger phenomena. You know, I wonder if they're bigger phenomena. Um, 
I don't know. I don't know if that's possible. I wonder if the UFC is worried that if you don't create destinations and you know similar naming nomenclature, you know, it's a Fox family, right? You sort of know, then everything everything leads to the other. They promote each other. Even 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 with the World Cup, it was ESPN and ABC, you know, sort of hand in hand. Um, I wonder if they'd worry about that. If, if could we are we going to lose viewers by making this such a diverse, complicated uh, task of, you know, searching for where our content is? I mean, you know, because they're getting away from. They still call it UFC on Fox, but they they also are calling it like UFC uh, Fight Nights for the Fox Sports One shows, and it's just the media who continues to name them 46, 47, 48, and things like that. So, so we'll see. I don't know. I wouldn't say it's likely. I think they like having everything in the family, but I wouldn't rule it out. Especially if it's a limited deal for another platform. Like, oh, we're going to give two fights to the other one, you know. All right, true false. Strawweight champion at the end of 2015 will be a woman who was not on Tough 20. Possible. Michael Bisping will fight for a championship before retiring. False. UFC 178 will do more than 900,000 buys. I don't think it will do that well. Anderson Silva will fight against Chris Weidman one more time. False. There will be another incident between Jones and Cormier either at the weigh-ins, a press conference, uh, or before or after the fight. Probably not. Ronda Rousey will retire undefeated. Probably. Mike Goldberg will, re will be replaced in 2015. False. UFC 177 will see a title change. Probably false. There will be at least another t two high-profile drug test failures in 2014. True. All current UFC champions are clean. No comment. I was asking about Mark Bocek retiring at 32. Yeah, man. He didn't look that great against uh, Michael De La Torre. Um, his style's been very grappling heavy, and his guys are getting better. So he just doesn't have the same leverage anymore. I mean, in jiu-jitsu with the gi, tear him up, but it's not the game we're in. Someone says, promotional or malpractice live chat. We have to worry about a kidney copyright infringement. I'm sure he did give me the name. I don't remember. I have no doubt that he's telling the truth, but it's mine now. So I've co-opted it. Uh, let's see. Connor recycling quotes. He was talking about um, people folding and things like that. I don't think he's recycling, but I do think he, he in between spaces, he thinks up certain things to say and then uses them. The problem is the turnaround was so quick here, he hasn't quite had a chance to do that. But I think that what makes Conor McGregor interesting is that he's a natural fight promoter. It does, he doesn't have to think about it or, like, struggle with it or, you know, how am I going to plan around this? He's, it's effortless, which is why it's, it looks that way. Let's see. I'll oh, rip this one. Thoughts on Kyle Kingsbury taking Aya, uh, I'll mispronounce it, Aya Hwaska prior to the Cummins fight. You're just trolling. Was he still under the effects of the drug? Come on, please stop. Just don't say dumb things. Manuel Newton versus Joey Beltran for the Bellator light heavyweight title. Is this real life? What's your take, Luke? It does seem like Scott Coker era Bellator is off to a great start. I think they probably owe, I don't know this to be true, but I think they owe him fights. Number one. Number two, you know, everyone's like, oh, man, it's really degrading the Bellator light heavyweight title. Oh, yeah, the one held by Attila Vey. Gee, I really wouldn't want to degrade what a 
what a uh, historically important title this is to uh, combat sports. I mean, the pantheon of champions that are named the you know Bellator light heavyweight champion. Boy, those are it's like you know it's a veritable Cooperstown. No, it's a it's one of their worst divisions. They have, probably have to keep the guy busy. Beltran makes for an exciting fight, relatively speaking, anyway. Um, and I don't think this is what their ultimate plan is. I just think that uh, someone on Twitter was saying this is probably like a bit of a tune-up fight, like when Garcia, Danny Garcia, is getting his next bout. I'm sympathetic to that argument as well. But I don't think this is what Scott Coker's plan is. Dude, like, you can't just take over an organization and un-F everything bad they did overnight. It takes a long time. It takes a long time. A lot of these dates and venues are probably still, they already have deals with, they have to fulfill. So they got a, it's going to be a while before Coker can really get set in motion all the things that he likes to do and the ways in which he likes to do them and acquire the talent that they want to acquire and run shows and promote them and do media like they like. I think that's it's not they're not close to that yet. They're very much in the nascent stages. Uh, someone wishing me a happy birthday. Thank you very much. It was yesterday, but thank you. How many live chats do you think you'll have to do before you quit? No idea. 177 is coming up. There's hardly any promotion or advertisement for it in comparison to other events that are happening way after 177, such as UFC 178. Do you think 177 is the worst pay-per-view card of all time? No, I don't think it's the worst pay-per-view card of all time. So it says you're, they're irritated because they live in Sacramento and a huge fan of the UFC, and yet I'm not going to the event because it's such an awful card. Don't. Don't. If you don't want to go, don't. Or if you do want to go, go. But vote with your dollars. Vote with your dollars. If that's not the kind of product that you expect in the UFC, don't do it. And people were always like, why did they take some fights away from 178 and put them on 177? Dude, why would you do that? Why would you make an amazing card that people will remember forever, less memorable, and less likely to have a lasting impact by making 177 slightly better? So dumb. So dumb. If you're going to have a bad event, just have a bad event. And the reason why they're not promoting 177, why would you have a media tour for that? It's, it's, it costs money. It's not going to have a dramatic impact. You're not selling diamonds that people just don't realize are diamonds. Yes, they're champions, but I mean as needle movers. I mean as guys who can sell just you know reliably pay-per-view buys. No one on that card can do that. Why would you invest a lot of money to sell that? Do the best you can. You can't not advertise it, but run the basics. Sort of the normal T crossing, the normal I dotting, and then invest your efforts in something that the more you put in, the more you could get out, right? In 178, that to me makes a lot more sense. Have one big event, put a lot behind it, really, really, really have a dramatic impact, and sort of just let 177 be what it is. But I really hope that they reevaluate their pay per view strategy in 2015, given the way in which their roster has been unable to support their calendar. Gray Maynard loses this fight. Would you say that it is definitely time for him to hang up the gloves? Uh, probably, but especially if he gets knocked out or stopped.
178, Luke, if this card stays intact, would it be impossible for it to do over 1 million? Not impossible, but highly unlikely. I just think the days of doing a million um, are long past us. Cruz Mizugaki, who's going to win? Cruz. Um, let's see. Get some from Twitter here. What is your opinion on Matsera's comment that Wyman can beat Vitor if he is on or off TRT? I agree. Does it set a precedent that if you pull out of a fight, you'll be rewarded by getting the fight in your home country? That's strictly a function of the calendar, not a reward effort. True or false? Metamorse will sue the NSAC if Chael pulls out to avoid the fines. False. I don't have the money for it. Other than Sonnen versus Galval, are you looking forward to any other uh, M4 matches? I think this is their best card yet. Yes. I'm not looking forward to uh, Barnett versus um, Lister. I know a lot of folks are. I'm not in that bandwagon. I think it's going to be a stalemate. Uh, you might even see Barnett you know, pushing the action and then Lister just getting out of everything, but I don't like it at all. I don't think it's a good fight uh, or good match. The, remember that I told you this because I, I cannot see how this match would suck. Gary Tonin versus Kid Dale. That's going to be the one. Kit Dale, jiu-jitsu, you know, in a way, a kind of a prodigy, but you know, that's a strong word, but just a natural. Got his black belt in four years in Australia. Already is competing on a world-class stage, not really training with any, any other world-class guys. Un unheard of, number one. Uh, probably the best black belt ever out of Australia. Number two, and Gary Tonin, ridiculous level black belt um, out of that sort of Henzo Gracie, Ricardo Almeida Alliance out there uh, in New Jersey. I think he's officially a Tom DeBlast black belt, but whatever the case may be, um, um, cardio machine and takes a lot of risks, has a lot of unorthodox techniques. Uh, can just 20 minutes for him is nothing. He will push, 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 and you may see him in some bad spots, but he'll never stop. It's crazy. That match for sure is going to be the best. Comprito versus Hibero is going to be awesome. Um, I don't expect much out of Sonnen versus Galvan. That's just to sell tickets, but Kit Dale. Kit Dale versus uh, Gary Tonin is just going to be the bee's knees. All right, so here's the deal. I have to go, but I want to say something here, truly. If you all like the microphone, let me see. If you all like the microphone, let me know. Thanks to Dark Toby, but it just wasn't working out, so we got to try something else. If you like the microphone, let me know. I'll get one permanently for the show. Reminder, within maybe 30 minutes after this is over, I will have the SoundCloud embed on this post on MMA Fighting. I'll tweet it out too, but it'll be on MMA Fighting. Within a week, fingers crossed, we should be on iTunes, but the train is at the station. We're definitely going to be on. Um, the, we're, we're headed that way. So expect that up there. You can share it. You can tweet it. You can embed it. You can download it. You can actually, quote, 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 follow me on SoundCloud, all that good stuff. But the podcast is coming. Vote on whether you want to change the name and the imaging to promotional malpractice or some form of it. Let me know. And thank you. Seriously, thank you. I, I, uh, I used to do a radio show on 106.7 The Fan here in D.C. And when I went away, I'm on an awesome radio show now. Um, but I was just on that show solo. And I used to love to take calls. And I know some people are like, oh, never take calls. If you ever listen to my old radio show, I love taking calls. And, yeah, you get some donks that call up and say some dumb stuff. But I really enjoy talking to other MMA fans. I really enjoy having them challenge you and, and ask questions in a way that changes your perspective or ask things that are funny or whatever the conversation is. I've always really enjoyed it. And 
I initially started this chat as a Scribble Live sort of text thing. That went away, and I did this, and it's worked out better than I ever could have imagined. It's your chat as much as it is mine. Everything you guys have asked for uh, are given me. I, I could never possibly have even asked for. Uh, I'm completely humbled. 100 chats in, and they're only going to get better from here. Thank you so much. Spread the word about it. Let folks know. Again, check back on MMA Fighting. Follow me on Twitter for all updates. That's where I tweet everything, at SBN Luke Thomas. Email me at luke.thomas at SBNation.com. Thank you for making the first 100 chats something crazy that I never would have expected. Here's to 100 more. Until next time, stay frosty.